Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. Joining me on this episode to talk all about London's continuing attractiveness as an investment hotspot are Rashid Hassan, Head of Global Cross-Border Investment at Savills, Catherine Eckers, a partner in the commercial real estate team at Forster's, and James Edwards, Managing Director of Evans Randall Investors. Over the next 30 minutes, Rashid, Catherine and James share their insights on how investor interests may have changed as we start to rebound from the coronavirus pandemic. They talk about how ESG are three letters on everyone's lips and just how confident London can feel for its future prospects. All of that and much more as we ask, how do investors see post-pandemic London? Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the EG Property Podcast. Special because we are live, recording live at LREF for an in real life event, uh, if anyone remembers those. And we are in real life for, for this podcast. And on today's podcast, we're going to be looking at how do investors see a post-pandemic London? And we'll be answering that question with three very, very excellent guests. So joining me on the EG Property Podcast today is Rashid Hassan from Savills, James Edwards from Evan Randall's Investors, and Catherine Eckers from Forsters. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm going to ask each of you just to say a few words so our listeners can get used to your voices. Um, uh, and Rashid, I'm going to throw to you first just to... Give us a little bit of insight, actually, on how you're seeing London now that we are, I don't want to use the M word, but we are getting back to something like normal. So I work in, uh, I work by Oxford Circus as well, my office is, and I've been coming to the office pretty much, unless uh, from a legal perspective, we can't, pretty much since summer last year. And I always find that Regent Street, Oxford Street, is a great measure of kind of people moving about and... And it was a ghost town uh, for large parts of last year, um, actually more so in the day than the weekends. But today, uh, this week, last week, it's busy. It's busy. It feels in our offices, certainly, we have a high proportion of uh, attendance, very high proportion of attendance. There are no restrictions in our offices anymore. Um, there's sensibleness, but not restriction. And so one would be forgiven for feeling like we are actually heading back to some degree of normality. Um, and when I compare that to talking to my team and colleagues and clients around the world, I feel like we are, rightly or wrongly, government guidance and everything else, uh, which is helping all of this, but feeling quite a bit more normal than uh, many other places. Uh, you know, somebody said to me today, I was on the phone to uh, Korea this morning, and yeah, it feels really looks like it's really normal in the press and everything uh, in London. It's because you've got no COVID cases. <laughs> no, we actually have lots of COVID cases, but there is an acceptance here that we're going to have them. Whereas Singapore, I was also on the phone to Singapore this morning, and they've gone back into a home working situation because they're targeting you know zero zero cases. So, however, it's being managed from our government perspective, it's helping it feel normal. Fantastic. Thank you, Catherine. Are you feeling normal? I think I'm feeling pretty normal. I think it's, it often happens, doesn't it, in September? You've got that sort of back-to-school feeling, whether or not you've got children. And there's always a bit of an upsurge. People are coming back from their holidays, sort of 
feel sort of dry forwards a bit. I think this year it feels like that kind of on hyper. Um, I kind of I agree with Rashid. I think sort of partly sort of it's guidance related, but also there's sort of a collective feeling of an acceptance that COVID's around. The majority of people are double vaccinated. Life has to carry on. Otherwise, is, what are you waiting for? You know, there's there's no next point throughout. I think the last sort of 18 months, there's been always something. You know, we're waiting for the vaccine rollout. We're waiting for this. There's nothing else to wait for now. And so I think you either sort of have to carry on with your life or not. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Thank you. James? Yeah, I agree with the sentiments uh, that have been expressed. Certainly it feels like it's picking up uh, in central London and when you, you know, take soundings from uh, you know, people in other countries, whether that's uh, you know, talk, talking to investors or talking to family, uh, which, um, you know, for my family... I'm originally from New Zealand, and so you know the UK actually has a pretty clear path. I think the messages that are being sent is, look, you know, we want to keep the country uh, open, we want to encourage international travel, tourism, business, and I think that looks quite favourable because, as you said, Rashid, when you look at other parts of the world, you know, New Zealand's just coming out of a, a, a lockdown, um, a long way behind in, vac in the vaccination uh, process, but also you know, in the Far East. I was speaking to someone in Hong Kong this morning, an investor, and you know they're talking about tightening restrictions, you know, and so there's a lot of retrenchment potentially in some of those other countries about how they're going to, what the COVID strategy will be there. But in the UK, I think it's pretty clear we're looking to get uh, the economy and country open. And you know whether you agree with that or not, it's the direction of travel. But I think that's encouraging for uh, for London and for you know for the remainder of this year and into next. Absolutely. And well, let, let's turn our attention to, to London. And Rashid, you mentioned that um, during the sort of uh, various lockdowns. London was a bit of a ghost ghost town, and we, you know, we've all seen the stats. Investment mm -hmm. levels fell off a cliff, didn't they? But we've also seen stats coming through, and I know Savills put put some out very recently about both the West End and the city, and those, you know, pretty confident figures looking looking forward that there is. We've certainly bounced back from 2020, and mm -hmm. we're getting there on on 2019. Can you talk to us a little bit about? about that bounce back, if that's that's the right word, and and how confident you are feeling in, particularly in international investors coming to London. Okay, so I think the first thing to say is uh, COVID is a common denominator. It's global, and um, a fall-off of investment volumes last year was global, right? I think, I think when you look at the major global gateways, it was only Seoul, I think it was only Seoul, that saw an uptick in investment 2021, uh, 2020 versus 2019. And that's because there's so much capital that needs to invest. And so it was doing it concentrating at home as opposed to going abroad. Uh, London actually fell, it fell a lot, but it didn't fall as much as other places. And if you look at say New York, it had a considerably worse time than, than, than London did. And the same, you say Singapore is very, very, uh, you know, a bit um, off in a big way as well. Um, the recovery has been good. Um, uh, this year, we are absolutely going to go through, I believe, 20, 2020 numbers. And, and as you quite rightly said, I think you know, our, our feeling is that if you say UK-wide, not just London, most sectors will, will possibly be up on 19. Mm. Um, there is, uh, am I confident in the continuation of that? I, 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 absolutely. And, and I think that you've got to look at what is driving, who is driving the market right now. We're still absent many, many buyer groups. 
Um, and I'd say the most prevalent, forget the geographies because it's more the type of buyer. The private buyer, the discretionary buyer, um, is relatively absent. They're not fully absent, and we've seen deals with privates this year, of course, and we will see always see that. But those who have to um, travel a long way um, into to, to do their deal in London or whatever, they, they are relatively absent. The people who are driving it are investment managers, funds, uh, uh, sovereigns. The money keeps coming in. You know, the pensioners keep paying their keep paying their their um, you know their their subscription, their monthly amounts, and the money has to be deployed. And so there is uh, a strong impetus. The money's not going away. It just has to find a home and find a rationale for doing it, and 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 find a market to do it in. And when you look at London and you look at um, everything we just discussed in the in the preamble, um, it is open for business, and it feels normal-ish. Um, and 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 all of the attractions of London, which are well rehearsed over the last decade plus, uh, continue today. So I think um, I'm confident in it, and that's not that's not glass half full. I am genuinely, I don't see a reason why it will slow down again. Mm. And Catherine, are you seeing that similar uh, buyer type in in your clients as well? Yeah, absolutely, um, very very much so. Um, in the law, it's a Legal-wise, you're always sort of maybe four to six weeks behind the agents, obviously, because that's the time it takes the deals to come through. Um, but A, it's been consistently very, very busy now for the last probably a year, I'd say, actually. Um, and, yeah, I think there's there's a limited supply still, isn't there, in terms of opportunities being brought to the market, which is probably um, helping the fact that there's, there's a lot of money still there, still looking invest and limited opportunities for them to do so mm. um, I think it's also quite interesting kind of in terms of what opportunities people are buying there's an increased appetite for sort of more opportunistic um, properties isn't there rather than the pure ready income investment um, there's the sort of value add piece people are keen to find um, which is a move on from last yes time. absolutely yeah feeling confident to move up that risk curve. Yeah. And we'll continue to do so. Mm. so J- James, you've, you've semi-recently sold to, a, to one of the buyer types that um, Rashid mentioned to, to a German fund manager. Are you, are you seeing lots of people coming knocking on your doors, looking at your assets? Yeah, I think if you've got the right product, absolutely. You know, I think what happened is obviously through the, through the COVID period, you know, we we saw we've seen very low transaction volumes, but the interest levels have remained high. It hasn't been a case where people have said, "Look, I'm out of the market." It's been a case where people have been saying, "Look, I'm just not quite sure of the direction of travel of it." And where we had an initial period uh, where people thought, "Perhaps I'm going to see some distress," and you know, there might be some buying opportunities. We all know that's never materialised, and I think pretty quickly people moved on from there and actually started comparing London and looking at relative value. And you're right. In terms of the asset we sold, Bureau, uh, which is a grade A asset um, that we'd recently completed, and we sold to Decker, and that was you know that was an off market process, but it was an off market process that actually we had some good interest, and in. it was of that buyer pool uh, that you've talked about, Rashid. When you're looking at it and saying, okay, it's an institution, they're very experienced in the London market, you know they have a team on the ground, they have a trusted group of advisors who advise them on the transaction, and there were two or three parties of that nature who came forward to us. 
uh, you know, looking looking to secure the deal. So, you know, that that shows that there's depth, I think, because that's not an actively marketed process, uh, and where you're seeing, you know, a very high quality pool of buyers. But focusing on assets, I think, where they don't have to underwrite the, you know, next few years. It's core, it's freehold, it's got long income, uh, and it works. You know, it works for their fund requirements and their investment requirements. So I think that that was that was key. Uh, and yeah, the 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 demand I think continues. As everyone knows, there's been a lack of stock in the market. Um, that's starting to starting to pick up, and I think you know we'll see good activity through the end of the year for sure. Yeah. And let's let's focus a bit on the the asset type, I suppose, that buyers are are looking at. And I, um, Catherine and Rashid, you both talked about buyers being confident now to go up the risk curve. Are there different demands from? From buyers now on on the type of property that they want, the size of prop, the lot size that they're willing to um, invest, etc. Uh, I, th- I think there's demand up and down the size brackets. I, it's always the case because you've got from private equity who can do huge, and then you know maybe slightly uh, smaller funds who can do do the smaller bits. I think it's. <laughs> Everyone talks about it, and it feels boring to even raise it. But <laughs> ESG is massive, um, and and I think that um, look at what look at what has performed well during um, COVID. Uh, yields have compressed a thousand percent compressed um, for the very best stock. That's truly grade A assets. Uh, rents haven't really fallen for that very very top uh, top tier um, uh, type of asset. And so there is a confidence from investors. And I, if you talk to our head of research, Matt Oakley, and, and he, he would say to you that we, you know, we've, we've, he, we have witnessed many uh, cycles. We have never seen such strong demand for development at this point coming out of a pandemic, or, uh, you know, a, a point of crisis ever. Uh, and why uh, people are feeling strong about creating the very if you create the very best, it will be fine, is the view. And we haven't had a real estate crisis here. We've had a health crisis, and it's affected everyone. So um, absolutely there's demand for that. Um, and and we'd see, uh, we would see more demand today, more bidders uh, today for a, a value-add mm-hmm. opportunity than we would for a core opportunity. There is so much money trying to get in that space and making very, very bold and um, positive assumptions on on those transactions uh, and they're not being opportunistic about the pricing as as james says Catherine, you're not nodding along long there yeah no i'm agree (laughs) (laughs) but i was also i was just thinking i think it's quite it's quite interesting and it's quite exciting with the sort of there is so much stock at the moment which isn't the prime grade a stuff i think it'd be really interesting over the next few years seeing what happens there and Sort of some of the opportunist kind of the opportunities that people are seizing on the sort of retrofitting potential um, for some of those to bring them up towards sort of more grade A and and bring them in line with the ESG requirements that lots of occupiers and investors have now. Um, I think that's something which perhaps even two years ago was seen as there was less less seen as less potential for potentially Mm. um you know existing older buildings were seen as more tired whereas now i think there's probably growing awareness acknowledgement of things like the embodied carbon 
in a brand new building and the cost that carries and therefore the ESG credentials that you can have with retrofitting an existing building um, and sort of more creativity in terms of how you can maximise value, yeah, yeah. which I think is really interesting. And James, with your sort of investor hat on, is this is everything that's being said around this table, you know, sort of making making you nod along as well? And is it is it what you look for in in assets? Yeah, I think, you know, we always see actually creating core products as a pretty defensive strategy because it's resilient no matter at what point you are in the cycle. So, you know, in terms of if you're looking to get let, if you're creating the best product, you'll get a tenant through the door versus maybe having to wait, you know two, three months, you know, for for viewings, you can have that in very, very dark times of the market. So that's something that we're always a believer in. I think to compare the process in terms of how you're going through kind of the design of a building now uh, in terms of the ESG and sustainability requirements, it's an interesting contrast because, you know, the building that we just talked about that we traded, we would have gone through planning permission, I think, sort of four years ago. And we're actually now about to submit planning permission on another building in Midtown for 100,000 square feet, which is a ground-up development. And on that, you know, the contrast is quite marked. I mean, we we were always, in terms of like BREAM accreditation, yes, you would do that, and we did that, you know, four years ago, but now it's BREAM and we're targeting outstanding without without question. We want to be at the top of the wellness uh, certification. Uh, it's an all-electric building. You know, we had a car park formerly in behind, and that's now become a pocket park. So it's extensive greening and urban greening. So all of that is going in the points about carbon correct. So if you kind of contrast, and so... You know, that process that we've just gone through now in terms of preparing that design and getting ready to submit for planning, uh, you know, it's, it, it really highlights the difference. And, you know, we've actually had, you know, early interest in terms of potential prelets on that asset. And, again, it's the same thing that's coming from the occupiers. So it's driven by occupiers uh, and it's, it's driven by the, the investment market as well. And there's certainly been a step change in terms of the focus of it uh, when you're trying to create that, that grade A product. It certainly sounds like when that product is um, completed, there'll be plenty of, buy- plenty of buyers for it from what we've heard around this this table. And and what about the, I guess, maybe areas of London? Are there any um, pockets of London that are now more attractive post-pandemic or does London remain the, just the place to put, put one's money? I think last year, um, or mid-pandemic, um, the focus on core was not just uh, the building, it was the location as well. And I think we saw that with the process, the processes that were run in Mayfair and St. James's, and we've done recent transactions in St. James's, which people never thought we would manage to do in terms of the pricing that we've achieved on, 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 on sales. Um, so core really means core in, in not just the building, but the location. I think that where we are today, though, um, where people are a little bit more confident in and a little bit less uh, less risk off, uh, I think the, the, the ge- geography opens up again. Um, I, we, we do surveys all the time to tenants, what's important for your building, uh, what, you know, what's important for your occupation. Transport is, remains number one. Um, and so you know, good accessibility, um, lots of amenity for their staff is really important. And for an investor, it's sort of the same thing. You want to be buying a building that talks to tenants well. And, and so I think those things remain. It's just we saw a very dramatic reversion to the traditional core last year and people paying up for, for, for the opportunities, the few opportunities that come up there. And you, you talked there about buildings that talk to tenants well. I, I like that as a, as a, as a phrase. We've, we've seen over, pan, over the pandemic, particularly in, well, in the retail world at least, 
tenant and property owner, we're not allowed to say landlord anymore, are we? Um, the, the divide has become so great. Is the same true in the offices world or is the, are the needs of occupiers really driving investors going forward, James? I think so. I mean, again, it's these uh, more often used terms in terms of thinking about tenants and you know, you know, the, 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 the customer, the end user, focusing on providing them a level of service and what they need for sure. That, you know, in the end, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're, we're trying to make the spaces as, as attractive as possible and so we need to be responding to uh, their requirements. And we've gone through... Uh, as everyone knows, an accelerated period of change. We're going to see an accelerated obsolescence, I think, with sort of grade B minus B- assets. And so, you know, we're trying to capture a lot of different things at the moment when you're designing a building in terms of, you know, properly integrating hybrid working, uh, in terms of the you know, the, the uh, wellness requirements that you want to achieve, as Rashid said, the amenity around the building, occupiers, you know, and tenants, when they think about hybrid working, you're seeing, you know, more provision for AV, for uh, for booths, for breakout space, for town hall space, you know, a workforce that expands and contracts, you know, over the different days of the week, it's more than it ever has. So, you know, that's a lot of change and trying to capture all that through the design process uh, is important because that's what the tenants are, are wanting. At the moment, I don't know that they've settled on that. We're in a process where people are going back into the office, uh, you know, for large corporates, you know, this year into Q1 and Q2 of next year. And, you know, some tenants are having to make decisions now about future requirements in two, three or four years' time, but where they probably haven't quite worked out exactly what is best for them. So, you know, it's not to say that what you agree today will actually be what they want to do in two or three years' time when they take the building. So trying to design in for that as well. But certainly the, uh, the sort of flexibility that you're trying to accommodate within a building, again, is more, um, is more important and a greater consideration because you're trying to do everything that you can to be able to respond to different tenant requirements. Yeah. And that sounds like um, the sort of the feel, the operation of the building is is something that investors need to look and look and see, whereas opposed to just seeing numbers on a spreadsheet and thinking, hey, this building make, makes sense. Has, has that sort of moved to be, um, I want to use the word, a more considered buyer, I suppose, um, being hampered somewhat by you know, travel restrictions or or have you um, found that people are still able to, to quote-unquote see a building without actually coming to, to physically touch and feel it? It's important to have people on the ground that you can trust. So I think, you know, geography I don't think has hampered buyers provided that they have um, infrastructure in, in the UK, whether that's in-house or external sort of asset managers, consultants who know enough about the asset that they're looking at and can go see it for themselves, feel how it's operated and and feedback. Um, and I think it's interesting what you say in terms of more considered buyers. I mean, I think that's probably true in the sense of it becoming a more generalised or general approach. Mm. You know, I suppose, but, but there have always been, I think the real sort of really successful asset managers, fund managers are ones who really considered the asset haven't they over the years and what the particular occupy needs are and manage the building proactively to the benefit of everybody and I think it's just that that's maybe now becoming a more widely accepted ethos Mm. but I think if you look back 
that has always been a sort of mark of really successful asset management. Yeah. Rashida, are you, are you finding that the clients that you're talking to uh, want to come and see or are they putting more trust in, in you and your team to, to feed back to them? Um, of course, they're putting more trust in us. Yeah, there's there's clearly, uh, a, for, for there are still people who aren't traveling um, and and don't want to do a deal until they can. Now, is, they can. It's just whether or not they will. And um, in the last uh, few weeks, we've seen a real uptick in travel, uh, which is good. Uh, I think we're still missing I always use the casual browser. Yeah, uh, People aren't coming for that. They're, they're coming with purpose. Yeah, So they found a deal. They're close to agreeing it, or they have agreed it, or they're just, you know, they're, they're mid-DD, and so they're going to come and have a look. And I think the um, because the UK has dropped, um, in most places, quarantine when they arrive, mm. the round trip from Asia, in particular, I would say from Asia, and actually from the Middle East, um, is, is two weeks shorter. Now, uh, for Hong Kong, Singaporean investors, they're still having to quarantine when they go home. Um, but what was five weeks to do a couple of days in London has become three weeks. And that's sort of semi more acceptable, um, in particular, if you've actually got a transaction on. Um, historically, we did, we did lots of business with casual browsers. Um, and they are a missing piece of the market. So, you know, and lots of those are private buyers. Um, more institutional buyers will have investment managers, asset managers here who will do a lot of that work for them. Um, but an increased reliance, as, as, we, as we said, on, on, on local consultants, partners, etc., has been evident over COVID, during this period. I've got an excellent image in my head of people just walking around London thinking, oh, I'd like that building. Please. That's a real thing, by the way. <laughs> I wish I was that person. Um, I guess as we, as we round up, what, the big question is, I suppose, when will we get back to that point where we do have those casual casual browsers, those um, private investors that are, are motivated to come and come and buy. And, and you know, w will London ever look like it was pre-pandemic? And should it look like it was pre-pandemic? James, I'm going to start with you on that one. Um, I think in terms of the buyer pool, you know, coming back to what it was, uh, you know, that'll be dependent on restrictions in their, uh, in their, local local markets and their local geographies I think you know as they see more people uh, you know transacting in London there'll be a pull factor because they won't want to miss out and come themselves but you know we've been you know, Evans Randall Vest has been active in central London for close to 20 years now and I think that there's always been a ready pool of capital and that is from different geographies and different kind of classes of investors at different times and right now with you know maybe that ultra high net worth buyer being out of the market, the market is still deep. Uh, so, you know, I think in terms of looking at looking ahead, I think, yes, it will return to pre-pandemic levels. You know, the driving force in terms of capital that's looking to access real assets, real estate, gateway cities, markets they know well, that'll continue to hold and that will support, uh, that will support London. So, you know, I feel very confident, we feel very confident in terms of, you know, the medium-term outlook for for central London for sure. Thank you, James. Catherine? I agree with James. And I think thinking about the part of your question, Rita, will it look the same? And in terms of the assets, you can say, I think there's probably been an acceleration, hasn't there, in terms of um, looking at how people are working and 
well-being, um, wellness of buildings. Um, that's been accelerated by the pandemic um, as a hybrid working. But it was a pro transition process that was already happening. Um, it's just sped up slightly. And obviously how people use buildings is constantly evolving. But the market is pretty constant. You know, the market of buyers for those properties as they evolve is generally there and will continue to be so. Thank you very much, Catherine. Uh, Rashid, final word to you. I, I think 100% the, the buyer pool uh, and the profile of London in a global context will will be as it was pre-pandemic. I don't think there's any good reason from the pandemic as to why that would be different. Um, we've made a lot about the absence of private investors. I want to stress there are private investors out there and doing deals. It's just there's less of them. Um, but those with conviction um, are out there doing and trying to find ways to do. Um, the building of yesterday versus today and the future, I think, has probably changed. What is a grade A building? We talked a lot about that. But London status, uh, absolutely, I don't think is diminished in any way because of COVID. So London still has plenty to offer and is definitely still yes. open for, for business. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much for a fascinating conversation, Ashid, James and Catherine.